It's so good to hear my voice, too. <laughs> you wouldn't even know. Oh, man. Mike, what time is it? I have to say it is 821 uh, timestamp on um, August 13th, 2020. This is not going to age well. Right, yeah. The We still have that plague that everyone loves. <laughs> Bubonic? Oh, yes, the bubonic plague. Uh, no, Adam, this is Bottom Shelf Dreams, and that means it's always time to talk about the little guy, uh, the Fila shoes of the Nike world. <laughs> or what oh, have you. Or what have you. The, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, the, the, the Laffy Taffies of the Taffy <laughs> what what would you say is the uh, the least liked Laffy Taffy flavor? It would have to be the banana one. I was gonna say it's is it banana? I feel like it's banana. Banana is either really hit or really miss. <laughs> but I feel like it misses more than it hits. And the fact right. that like when it misses, it really misses. But when it hits, it's always like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it uh, it can do it can be good but not great, but it can be atrocious. Right, right, right. Yeah, I used it... to have uh, my medicine mixed with banana, like a, <laughs> ban- a banana juice. Gross, dude. And uh, no, like I actually like banana in a in a weird medicinal way. That's <laughs> you need to see a therapist. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, I love that so much. Um that didn't ruin that didn't ruin banana for you? You know, it it ruined Robitussin. <laughs> uh, Why are you taking Robitussin as a kid? Oh my gosh, I coughed up a storm. You'd think oh. I was a smoker. Your your body was just preparing you for corona. Yeah. My goodness. Man, we we rabbit shelled really hard. Uh, what is this again, Mike? <laughs> so, bottom shelf dreams. The the lover of all things that are on the bottom shelf, comparing to them to the to the nerdy things on the top shelf. We're here to glorify the underrated. Amen to that. And uh, this week we we got an episode that uh, we're both really excited about. Something that. I feel like doesn't get enough doesn't get enough glory, Mike. Enough time in the sun. Yeah, I mean, last week we talked about the XFL, and uh, <laughs> that was that was a hot take the entire episode. All eight listeners that have heard that episode. I mean, shout out to those eight listeners that listened to our the rantings and ravings of Mad Men. Right. Right. Like, if you didn't think we knew sports trivia, and then you listened to that episode, you still won't be convinced. (laughs) Uh, But you will be impressed that we know facts about uh, insane business owners. That is very, very true. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for any part of it. Vince never apologized to us. We don't apologize to him. Exactly. Take that, Vince. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I, have, I have good news. Um, 
someone on Apple, a podcast, gave us our first five-star rating. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I know it wasn't me because I don't know how to rate things on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> so, Mike, yeah, Mike, you you just go on and you hit the stars. See, I I still can't say that it was me then because I have not touched a single star. <laughs> Mike, it's probably because you're still using that Zune. It, it can't access Apple. Uh, I have to use the weird workaround through Netscape. Does that even exist? Uh, Netscape or Zunes? Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, this episode we got something that um, is a little bit more, um, a little bit more, well, a little less violent, let's say. A little bit more therapeutic. Yeah, a little yeah. bit more comforting. Yeah, this is this this episode is gonna feel like um, mom's homemade chicken soup. <laughs> but don't insult it because if it does, it'll hit you upside of the head. It doesn't take no yeah. crap. It it'll take off its sandal and beat Chuck you. It at you. Yeah. <laughs> um. But today today's episode, Mike, is 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 what? It's it's uh ten female um. I want to say helpers of famous superheroes. So 10 female helpers of famous superheroes. Um, and this is, this is the penultimate of um, the bottom shelf. Because these, these women, and possibly one man, one man um, <laughs> the, these people, they live in the shadow of the superheroes. Um, yeah. they, they barely get top billing in movies. Some mm. of them aren't even in the movies. Right, right. And, you know, they're... But they're also the moral compass of the characters. And right. pretty pretty much the, the, the reason these superheroes we love actually become better people. Right. And, well, I mean, have you heard the, the term uh, fridging or getting fridged? Uh, yes. Yeah, so... Basically, you know, it's the plight of these, you know, these these female lead characters. They, you know, they kind of exist as like um, these tropes by, you know, when they, you know, if they get hurt or if they get injured or they get kidnapped or they get killed or whatever. And it's used to kind of stimulate like positive traits in in men, like you were saying, like they they, they become their moral compass yes. or. Or they're used as a plot device intended to you to kind of move male character story arcs forward, and you know they just kind of get shoved off the limelight as kind of like throwaway characters. And you know this, we want this podcast to be a celebration of these characters. Right, right. Every time Superman goes rogue and threatens the planet, it's people like Lois Lane that have to bring him back. Um, every time Spider-Man uh, tries to throw out his, uh, super, his uh, spider suit, um, MJ is the one who has to remind him that he can put it back on and give it another shot. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to say every time Spider-Man goes to, to kiss someone upside down in the pouring rain, 
<laughs> MJ is there. Yes. Freezing. It, it happens to her 100% of the time. Can we just say that that might be the one of the weirdest scenes that I saw as a child? You know, the part that makes it weird, Adam, is the first time uh, Peter Parker and and MJ do it. It's it's an iconic. It's it's cool photography in movies. Right, right. Um, a good use of the character license. But then MJ asks every boy she's about to marry to try it, and then it gets a little creepy. <laughs> it's like a way more physical version of Cinderella. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, like I feel like a lot of these, a lot of these moments that we're talking about, um, you know, they they come from male comic book writers trying to to write in female characters or male movie directors and they're trying to write in female characters and you know i don't know about you mike but it's pretty like i i couldn't i couldn't accurately try to to write in a a woman character like i'm i'm a dude it's 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 too crazy yeah the 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 female population is very suspect of male <laughs> writers trying to include female writers especially because we try to speculate on right. uh, womanly things and we right. we miss the target and then they they say hey you know women they don't do that actually please <laughs> stop writing that about us right and i think it's just it's such a uh, breath of fresh air when you get you know things like wonder woman that get female directors um and then they you know they just use the source material so um so well and uh it, they make you know wonder woman feels like a real character instead of just like so, like the amalgamation of a bunch of sweaty comic book nerds in a, in a room you know and uh yeah absolutely so i i say we stop teasing our audience those those nine people that we love and hold dear that will listen to this, they want to get with our list. Absolutely. And, uh, but before we, before we jump in, I just want to shout out, uh, there's, you know, some new news about the, uh, the new, uh, Captain Marvel two director who is, it's going to be uh, a female. Her, her name is Naya DaCosta. And I'm super excited to, to, to see Captain Marvel portrayed accurately by a woman instead of a bunch of sweaty comic book nerds in a room that don't know how to write female dialogue. If there's one thing we know about males is they're nerds and they sweat. <laughs> Amen and, to that. Yeah. Get your, get your hands away from that typewriter. Stop writing about that girl. I, I can't do it. It's too, it's, too, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's integral to the plot. Um, yes. Shall we jump into our, our first character? Would you like to go first? Or do you want me to oh, go yeah. first? You know what? I'm going to go first. Do it. So, um, the first person on the, the good buddy who supports our superhero list um, is a wife and a mother, Iris West. Um, you probably have known as much as you can about Iris. Through that uh, that Flash show on the <laughs> CW, but um, I'm gonna add a little. I'm gonna tell you. I'm just gonna jump right into why I like her. First of all, wonderful actress, but that's another story. Uh, Iris 
is Barry Allen's grounding in reality, and that's what I like about her. So on one hand, you have this ADHD super, um, and you have on the other hand, you have this patient wife who constantly gets dragged into bizarre sci-fi dilemmas. Uh, so maybe one day a gorilla wants to steal uh, Flash's brain. Um, uh, or maybe another day Flash is like, I can't run fast enough. Another day I accidentally ran through time backwards and killed my mom. You know, ad nauseum, so on and so forth. So Iris is amazing because she lets Barry get into these hijinks and takes it with a shrug. She takes it with a grain of salt. Even when they get married, and this is comic book lore only, when they get married, Professor Zoom um, kidnaps Barry and trades places with him. Um, And Barry actually had to save his own wedding by getting back into his own body. And, uh, you know, that that would have been that would have been grounds for the divorce for me. I'd be like, (laughs) nope. Uh, But she's like, oh, Barry, you know. You know, she's not an enabler. Don't get me wrong. She's not enabling this. Uh, but she knows it comes with the territory, and she's patient. So she can put up with this crazy with this craziness. Um, and the fact is, no other superhero knows what this is like. Because when you're Lois Lane, uh, no one messes with you. Well, number one, because I don't know how your husband is so good at keeping his identity. Uh, but number two, he can throw people into the sun. So, uh, on the other hand, uh, Barry Allen is so easy to abuse, therefore Iris West is, uh, or actually it's Iris Allen, wouldn't it be? Because they're married? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Iris Allen would be, uh, by association, very easy to abuse. And, you know, she, her faithfulness, it does not wane. <laughs> So the the lady she is a pillar of patience. Even even when she dies. So in the comic book she dies on New Earth. Um and her parents actually have to travel to the future to get her a new body. You know, she's cool with that. She's like, "Yep, yeah, this is the life. Another Tuesday." <laughs> so, it is what it is. We'll just get on the cosmic treadmill and fix everything. It's fine. And that's probably how he's gotten out of so many fights. Is, True. You know, honey, honey, I'll just get on the treadmill, you know, go through time. And she's like, oh, the last time you did that, you know, you know, there was, you know, Hitler survived. Stop it, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, True. I'm, I'm wondering what the vows would look like between uh, Barry and Iris, you know, to have and to hold to correct time, to um, get sucked into a cosmic wormhole. Um, And to keep his calorie count up so he doesn't pass out. Yeah, the grocery bill alone would be a deal breaker for me. So, um, my last part is to try to imagine what Iris' own comic book would be. Uh, so imagine you go to the last surviving comic book store in your area, and you see Iris Allen uh, issue one, and on the cover she is uh, sweeping up Barry's uh, time stream mess 
Because <laughs> um, he, he spilled time all over in his lab. Um, right. Meanwhile, there's a gorilla, like, punching him in the head in the background. Perfect. And, you know, she kind of sighs and is like, oh, whatever. I need to make lunch for Earth 1, 2, 3, and 4, Barry. Um, and then she says, you know, Barry, don't forget to remove King Shark's droppings from the porch. And of course he forgets. So Boys, that is, am I right? Yeah, that is Iris West. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so for my first character, um, is she, she's known for her love of yellow jumpsuits and, um, hockey mask wielding bad boys and, uh, for being a, a TV reporter, um, one friend to the Ninja Turtles, your favorite and mine, April O'Neil. Um, she, uh, I mean, uh, you, you name it, she's it to the, the turtles. She's like, like we've been saying all along, she's definitely a, a moral compass, but she's more so than that. She's, um, she's like a sister, a motherly figure to them. She definitely cares for them. And, um, you know, her, her role, um, often is kind of the, the bridge between the underground, uh, the turtles and like the surface world. So a lot of times she'll, uh, feed them information. She'll feed them pizza. Um, she will, uh, you know, give them hints and trips and tricks about, you know, kind of what Shredder and the Foot are up to, and uh, all the while giving them good positive spin on the surface. Um, in other iterations, um, she's, you know, a brilliant scientist. She's a brilliant. Um, both biological scientist and a uh, like a, a computer science person who enjoys hacking and uh, all those things that involve a computer. And um, you know, but one thing always stays constant. She's she's a faithful friend of the turtles, and um, you know, she she's always willing to give um, you know the turtles a place to stay. And, you know, she's definitely a, a key member of the Turtle team. Archer's character on the side of the arcade cabinet. Um, there's a, there's a real-life model actress of April O'Neil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always wondered who modeled for that arcade cabinet. Because they killed it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, April O'Neil is just, is, you know, she's, she's iconic. She's, you know, the, you know, she's a child of the 80s, and she looks every bit it, and, and I, you know, I, I love, my first uh, encounter with April O'Neil was definitely in those, um, the live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Did you watch those, Mike? I uh, memorized them, practically. <laughs> um, and, you know, she kind of plays this, tough as nails, takes no crap uh, kind of character, and she's, she, um, she, she's able to keep up with all the boys and even Casey, so um, she, she definitely kind of stood out for me, and I was like, wow, man, she's, she's pretty awesome. She can kick butt and take names, just like the boys. Now, I wonder how much of this is true for the recent iterations, uh, TMNT and or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, um, mm-hmm. with uh, the 
the beloved actress Megan Fox. <laughs> did uh, did Jason Bay also direct these? I I I don't have enough care to know who directed these, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a, a Bay film. It 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 just kind of feels like maybe it was uh, Michael Bay's cousin. Michael Bay, yeah, yeah, like um, it was. Bay. <laughs> it was a guy named Jonathan Liebersman. <laughs> Interesting. Um, he's South African, but that's not what this is about. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the the new ones, but um, I can I can only assume that they didn't quite do the you know the April Bay uh, that I grew up with justice. Yeah, it, uh, someone found out that, uh, Megan Fox, um, looks very nice, and they kind of went in that direction. (laughs) Um, yeah, for sure, and, I mean, not that there's anything inherently wrong with Megan Fox and portraying that character, again, I think it comes back to people, you know, writing the character, and they just don't know how to write the character. Um, but, you know, just in, uh, in interest to sticking to the script, Mike, um, you know, she, uh, you know, her, her role with the, 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 the turtles, if, you know, if she wasn't there, um, you know, they, they would totally lose that, that humanizing element, if that makes sense. Like, like Mm -hmm. Casey is basically a, a turtle with them. Like, he's just like this feral sewer rat. Um, right, uh, but you know, April kind of you know brings that 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 human morality to the table. She she guides them and and, and leads them, and but also at the same time, she um, you know she's definitely their their life source, their 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 lifeline towards you know the the human world. So um, you know they would have to to find another sympathetic contact on the uh, the surface world if you know she were to suddenly. Get Thanos out of there. Yeah, in in yeah. a sad way, um, she represents the beauty of you know, you know, they're teenagers and they're they're males. Well, at least I've been led to believe that, and so um, they realize they can they can never have the romance um, on the in the human world and. <laughs> And April will always be the closest thing they can have to that intimacy. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that creates a lot of, you know, wonderfully tender human moments, and which I think would be sorely missing, especially you know in the you know the original comics were real violent and uh, da- like. Have you read the uh, the original comic run? Uh, it- I've seen them, like, all of them had red masks back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were, they they used their weapons. <laughs> Let's just say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of, a lot of the humanness would be, would be gone, the morality would be gone out of that series. And um, just to kind of wrap it up, um, I, I think a comic book series with her, you know, I'm kind of envisioning a um, kind of a, a Kill Bill situation 
where kind of Shredder has taken um, the boys hostage and she's got a ninja up in her yellow jumpsuit and just go to town on some foot robots. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I noticed in this that um, a lot of these females that I'm going to talk about and you're going to talk about are all investigative journalists, (laughs) which is kind of commentary that the closest um, a woman can get in the superhero battle is investigative journalism, which is nothing to it's nothing to sneeze at. Um, it's just it's just a weird choice that so many people said, uh, you know, quick, 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 we got to give her the love interest a job. Uh, you know, they were thinking, you know, she works at Pretzel Time. No, she she's a construction contractor. No. <laughs> Investigative journalist. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I, I definitely think it has a lot to do with kind of the Lois Lane effect. I think she was the you know the first or the most famous to do it, and then people just followed that formula, you know. Yeah, I th- I think that's like a a cheap way to get them in peril. Right. Basically. Agreed. I'd like to see someone's wife be a manager at Applebee's <laughs> and have them constantly get in peril too. Amen. Yes. So, it'd be it'd be great to see like, I don't know, Sinestro just have, you know, a real hankering to destroy one Applebee's in particular and Hal Jordan yes. has to come. <laughs> and they have to constantly keep firing her. They're like Ah, oh, come on. Everywhere you go, Sinestro follows. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> um, let's, yeah, let's, let's move on to uh, your, your second one. What do you got for me, Mike? Went deep into my treasure chest of uh, bottom shelf comic book series. And this one needs an introduction. So, uh, first of all, the character's name is Maddie Warner. Mm-hmm. And Maddie Warner is part of the Image Comics license. Um, she is the wife of Captain Dynamo. Uh, Captain Dynamo is like the Superman, does everything, um, can do no wrong. A uh, superhero of Metropolis, as you will. Um, but one day, Maddie Warner found her husband dead in a hotel room. Cool. Um, and, and then discovered that he had been sneaking around her back for many years. So, Maddie Warner did what any scorned wife would do. She found all the kids that uh, Captain Dynamo fathered and helped them find their superpowers. Um, basically, she says, I'm going to take all the illegitimate children and make my own Justice League. Uh, <laughs> She organizes them into the Dynamo Five, um, where each teenager has one power from Captain Dynamo's set list. So, and through her role, she 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 has to play the unbitter mom who believes in seeing the bright side of of this tragedy, even though her husband was unfaithful. Um, she she kind of has to reconcile with that. Um, wonder what the heck was going through his mind during the whole time, and also kind of mourn his death. 
But at the same time, she has to live, she has to carry on his dream, because she still wants to see, um, once people find out that Captain Dynamo is dead, all his villains will try and attack the city. So she still has to play the role of a manager of superheroes. So, you know, she's putting on many hats. She's a mom, she's an organizer, she's a mourning widow. But the cool thing about her is as she's raising these kids, and these kids are, like, varied, like, uh, your variety store superheroes. You got, like, a Scatterbrain, who's uh, a football player who can read people's minds. <laughs> uh, you have this goth girl with, like, super-powered strength. You have this really geeky guy with uh, laser vision named Supervision. And, uh, you know, and there's other characters to it as well. Uh, but basically, she'll kind of push the kids to fight a crime, you know, get get into saving the city. Uh, but then she'll have, like, some dark side hustle on the side. Like, mm. uh, after the kids have beaten up this this rival gang, she'll kind of take the rival gang aside and say, uh, and, like, sh- execute them and, like, cover it up. Jeez. Yes, and you know it'll be like you know, jeez, mom, why did you do that? And um, so Maddie Warner is cutthroat, but also nurturing. Uh, my my best example is she's like Charles Xavier, and you know that coach from or that PE teacher from Glee. Sure. Uh, the the short blonde haired one. Sure. Um, if they came together, they would form Maddie Warner. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would, yeah, I would love oh. to read a, a comic book about her dark past and dealings with villains and uh, how she became a quote-unquote Nick Fury type. Right, right. Yeah, I was gonna say she definitely sounds like uh, all of those names that you just put out. Nick Fury, kind of the. Charles Xavier and all the above, but it it kind of reminds me of um, the uh, the the father from uh, the Umbrella Chronicles, right? Um, I forgot his name. Um, we can but, all visualize it, right, right, right. But but that kind of like tough love, um, but ultimately. Um, the love of justice over love of yeah. the kids. Very interesting. Well, that that was a that was a good pick, Mike. I I had not heard of that person before, so that's a that's a very bottom shelf pick. I love that. Dynamo Five. Uh, I'm talking to the audience. I'm talking to you. The only way you could possibly find it is if you got a subscription to Comicsology. You know, you you burn their one free month trial, and you just binged all that, um, and then maybe you could also binge Umbrella Chronicles, or um, it's not Chronicles; it's Umbrella Academy. Oh, I'm thinking of the Resident Evil game, Umbrella Chronicles. Okay, Umbrella <laughs> Academy. <laughs> I I think I said Umbrella Umbrella Chronicles because I was also thinking of Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, unfortunate name. Yeah, too many umbrellas. 
Um, but regardless, yeah, definitely, definitely check them out. That that was very interesting. That was very, it was very Watchmen X Men esque. I love it. Um, shall I go on to uh, my my next one? Yes. Okay, Mike. Um, mine is um, my next character. She um, she's also definitely kind of the uh, she does the down and, and dirty and gritty things behind the scenes, but not for her entire run as a character. Um, and my my next character that I want to talk about is one Barbara Gordon. AKA mm. Oracle, AKA Batgirl. Um, she kind of she first appeared as Batgirl in uh, Detective Comics number uh, three fifty nine, um, but then her first appearance as Oracle was in Suicide Squad uh, number twenty three. Um, but her her kind of her famous uh, start as Oracle. Um, started after in have, have you read the uh, the graphic novel the killing joke mike yes i think i got it for you for your birthday one time or something right yes um i'm, st- I'm still scared to open it again <laughs> um but uh as as part of that storyline um joker uh shoots uh barbara gordon and it kind of severs her spinal cord um, resulting in her being paralyzed from the waist down, and then, um, you know, subsequently, this is something that's, uh, it's not cool that that happened to her, but it was cool that, you know, that story was a one-off story, but they kind of, they kept that character, they kept um, Oracle in that state for, you know, several runs afterwards, um, and they kind of um, reworked her character into being like a, a technical advisor, a computer expert, and kind of like this information broker called Oracle. And um, she she works not only for the Bat family, but you know other characters in the uh, the DC universe, kind of offering her hacking services and uh, to to other superheroes. And like I said, she she's in Suicide Squad, and she's also. Um, a prominent leader in the uh, a prominent lead character in the comic run of Birds of Prey, um, famously out recently with Margot Robbie. She was not in that, right? I'm trying to think where was she in Suicide Squad? Um, she wasn't in Suicide Squad the movie. She's she's in the comic book runs. I don't know. I don't know if there's been a, a film portrayal of Barbara Gordon yet. Right, right. There was, um, ironically, there was a Birds of Prey TV show that mm-hmm. was on for like a hot month. <laughs> five, five episodes of Dina Lance, Oracle, and I'm trying to, I can't remember the third person. That's how memorable she was. But basically they were the Birds of Prey and... It kind of it kind of danced around that story because she was in a wheelchair the whole time, right? And um, yeah, and the the wheelchair I think is is really at the forefront of of her character. Um, I mean, she she gets um, a lot of praise as she should as like um, you know a disabled icon as as a character that um, you know is in these typically really action heavy comic books. Um, but, you know, here she is able to contribute, um, even though, you know, she's bound to a wheelchair, but 
you know that's uh, but also the the criticism of of the character is is also at the forefront mostly being you know the the criticism being you know women in comics you know usually being regulated to support roles or um like in the killing joke um the damsel in distress so um you know there's you know there's there's people on either side of the aisle but you know, here on this on this show, um, we're we're celebrating her and um, all the 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 awesomeness that she she brings to the table. And you know, she's um, you know she you know she she has uh, a lot of acclaim. You know, on um, she was ranked seventeenth uh, on IGN's top one hundred comic book heroes, which is infinitely higher than I ranked on that list. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um. But uh, you know, if you know, if she uh if she wasn't there, um, you know, the, the Bat family would, would be out of out of a lot of luck, man. They they rely on her for a lot, from giving detailed maps and schematics to, you know, hacking doors and computer programs for Bruce as he goes out on missions, but um, you know, he he's she's also you know, due to her relationships with her with her father, obviously the the police commissioner, she she has an in with the police. So she, you know, if she were to suddenly not be there, you know, the 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 all seeing eye that Batman has would, you know, suddenly disappear. Right, right, and um, she has like this, I don't know, on again, off again relationship with Nightwing. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is uh, very interesting. Because anyone who hangs out with Batman <laughs> becomes dark and dreary and depressed, and so they basically have to go to they they basically have to go to Oracle to lighten up a little. <laughs> For sure, yeah, no, she's definitely a, a ray of sunshine in a very dark, dreary Batcave. Um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, unlike. Uh, the April O'Neil comic, you know, the, um, you know Barbara as you know both Oracle and as uh, Batgirl have had her own kind of comic book series runs, and I would direct you guys to to go check those out, um, whether that's in Birds of Prey or whether that's in um, Suicide Squad or um, you know in the various Bat Family comics. She she's definitely a, a character that. Uh, you can't miss, and she's an integral part of the action. So, yeah, that's probably the only character we're going to talk about today that has a shot at the movies. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I don't know. Uh, two of my characters are in movies already, so... <laughs> I guess that's true, too. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, she, she definitely, um, you're right, has the, uh, the, the best chance, um, out of the characters that haven't had film or TV roles, uh, already. Yeah. So let's stay in Gotham. Ooh. A little bit longer for my character that I've, I've had more curiosity about this person. Hmm. And then I realized that she was actually in a Batman movie. Just no one she remembers. Was. 
Yeah. Vicky Vale or Kim Basinger. <laughs> oh man, I, I feel so bad for, for Vicky Vale. She always gets kind of tossed aside for, you know, uh, Talia Al Ghul or Catwoman or whoever it is. Right. Um, right. But she's she's never she's never around long. So what I like about Vicky Vale is originally she had a shtick with um, Batman, and that is in every one of her issues, she would uh, you know get a long hard look and be like, I think that's Bruce Wayne, and then <laughs> Batman would kind of like fuddle around and be like, No, no, no. In the, he would like hide in the bushes and then call his cell phone and be like, I'm Bruce Wayne and I'm not Batman. And then she'd be like, oh, okay, okay. And, but I then, like, yeah, the next, she'd be like, but maybe, just maybe you are. And he'd have to do like a little jig to get exactly. himself out of it. So Vicky Vale is like one of those know it all kids in second grade. Um, right. when, when the teacher comes in as Santa Claus and all the kids are like, it's Santa. And Vicky Vale's the one who's like, no, that's the second grade teacher. I figured it out. <laughs> the one who ruins it for everyone. Right, right. So, yeah, her her characters, she's always suspicious. And that was, uh, like, the 60s and uh, 70s. Um, and Batman would just come up with a ridiculous excuse that would say, yeah, it can't be me. All right. Um, but then in the 80s and 90s, um, she was getting kind of close to Bruce Wayne. Um, still didn't know his identity. And then, like, Catwoman would get super jealous and, like, threaten to rip her face off. So, uh... Meow. Yeah, so it was just not gonna happen in the 80s or 90s. But then, in the early 90s, you know, she actually did get in a very serious relationship with Bruce. And uh, always wondered why he would be absent for long amounts of time. And it never occurred to her. And then uh, Bruce Wayne was like, you know what? I better tell her uh, why I'm absent and always putting her in danger. You know, she's going to wonder about that. But then at the last second, he chickens out. And he breaks up with her. And that breakup causes serious depression. And I, I thought that was neat. Not serious depression. I don't think that's neat. <laughs> but I, I think the the fact that uh, someone had such an integral effect on on Bruce Wayne that would actually make him want to deny his uh, his Batmantle, and that that he would actually regret uh, living and being happy, it would be this girl. You know, I don't think he gets those regrets with Talia or Catwoman. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think that fundamentally those other girls that we talked about, they're they're kind of a part of his of that world, whereas Vicky Vale is, you know, hundred percent civilian. Like her is that uh she She's actually 100% grounded in reality. Um, the life he could have chosen. Yeah, unfortunately, he never chooses it. <laughs> in, in other stories, like The Black Glove, mm -hmm. 
and this is kind of more funny, is like she kind of reconciles that uh, he's going to fall in love with this other girl named Jezebel Jet. Ugh. Um, and so she kind of wishes him luck on the new relationship. And then Batman finds out that Jezebel Jet works with the Black Glove, a team um, or a society that's obsessed with finding out how to kill Batman, and they get the closest they've ever gotten. And so that just that just goes to prove that, you know, don't go for the bad girl. All right, Batman is living proof that you don't go for the for the bad girl. You know, go for the Vicky Vales in your life. <laughs> um, I would I would just like to dedicate this episode to Vicky Vale. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always feel I feel like she's the ultimate out of everyone that we're going to talk about today. She's the ultimate kind of exemplary of bottom shelf dream, you know. Yeah. She should be our mascot. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, because, you know, she's she's definitely a sweetheart. She's definitely she brings a lot to the table. I mean she I mean, what does she have that Lois Lane doesn't have? And, you know, Batman um uh, just really likes girls that run around in leather and uses whips and claws. Amen. And that's how kids like Damien are born. <laughs> True that. Yeah. And, you know, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, Vicky Vale is, that's that's the woman you bring home to mama. Amen. Yeah. If Bruce Wayne had a mom. Yes. Maybe that you bring too. home, she's the girl you bring home to Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. So, oh. uh, I speculated what the first issue of Vicky Vale would be. A limited edition variant cover. Pencils by Jim. Uh, Jim Shooter. Written by Stan Lee. <laughs> Episode one, Vicky Vale. She's an expert reporter who walks in on Bruce Wayne dressing into his Batman costume. But Bruce Wayne calmly explains... That he's just wearing it for a friend. <laughs> Vicky believes him and then returns to the office where she will get in, an exclusive interview with Joe Kerr. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you're up. Oh, man. So... Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna jump from the the dark and gritty uh, Gotham to Marvel's own dark and gritty city. We're gonna hop right on over to a little place called Hell's Kitchen, and um, and if you're uh, if you're unlucky enough to be a blind vigilante or uh, a sucker punching. Uh, strong man or uh, a martial arts master with the the fist that punched a dragon and you happen to get stabbed and you need someone to uh, to heal you up there's only one person to go to and that's Claire Temple um so Claire Temple interestingly enough in the MCU um in the cinematic universe um she's she's actually based on two different characters from the comics uh the first being 
uh, a character uh, called Night Nurse, um, and uh, who uh, uh, actually was portrayed by uh, Rachel McAdams in the Doctor Strange movie, funnily enough. Um, but uh, Night Nurse kind of came about in uh, you know in the seventies, and it was a uh, uh, it was the, the comic book arc was about these three female roommates that worked a night shift at a, a fictional metropolitan hospital in New York, and uh, they kind of have all these run-ins with um, various gothic and super supernatural powers individuals and then also eventually um daredevil and um people like that uh and then uh claire temple uh another character um she was primarily affiliated with uh luke cage and one of his early kind of love interests and um but uh so she was kind of more of a uh, she's kind of like the opposite of, of Night Nurse. She's kind of like a, a more, uh, she kind of, uh, she was on the streets knocking heads and she worked for uh, Heroes for Hire. And that's, and that's perfectly kind of what Claire Temple is in uh, the MCU. She kind of, she definitely helps out people when they've been shot and stabbed, like in Daredevil and in Luke Cage. But she, you know, she's not above, you know, torturing bad guys with Daredevil in order to get information out of them. Uh, have you seen uh, any of the, the Marvel Netflix shows, Mike? Um, I, you know, I, I do know about the Daredevil series. I, I watched it religiously. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other ones. Yeah, I mean, the Daredevil series is about as good as superhero media gets, I think, for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, Claire Temple is definitely a, a, a reason for it. Um, you know, if, you know, if she wasn't in these, in these shows, a lot of these characters would just be up a creek without a paddle. They'd have to expose themselves and go to a hospital or something and, or they have to find somebody else. But, um, she, she, she's kind of, she's less of a moral compass and more of a, she kind of. Uh, very. Uh, she's a very good example of kind of the the environment that she finds herself in. She uh, she's very typical of kind of like the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood, the kind of gritty, grimy people of the street. Um, but you know, she's also kind of um, she's definitely a, a diamond in the rough. She's someone there that's um, you know a shining star and a and a deep dark sea she's she's there to help people and she's she's very self selfless and um you know she's she's willing to help out her neighbor um regardless of 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 how bad it gets and you know she definitely has a an eye for justice and a heart for justice so um she's definitely a a high point for the um the citizens and denizens of of hell's kitchen yeah yeah i remember looking up the the night nurse and she used to have um back when marvel did a kind of a whole gamut of different comic books she kind of had um this uh, it was like part thriller but part uh soap opera right 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 night nurse and like in every other issue 
you know, there was a girl like crying over a, a sick body with tears coming out of her eyes. Right. You know, yelling, Dirk, no. <laughs> Why are and they then, always named Dirk? I don't know. Dirk is just a guy who you don't want to get in a relationship with. He's going to break yeah. your heart or die. <laughs> Sometimes both. And uh, yeah, so she was she was kind of like this nurse that got into these thrilling adventures. Yeah, and I I, know, I think that perfectly sums up Claire. Um, you know, she's you know she she has a day job at a hospital, but she's kind of dragged into these these super powered fights. And I think that's the appeal of the whole thing is the the normal everyday citizen that. Uh, is like they're they're knee deep in the superhero world, but you know that they're so limited that they can't just they can't just uh, you know fly their way or punch their way out of it. They you actually you you actually want to hear their story more just because of how impossible it is for them to get out of it. Yeah, for sure, and. Um, you know, I, and, uh, you know, I, I definitely hope that we haven't seen the last of that cast of characters and, um, you know, Marvel and Disney do something with those, that universe that they created. Hmm. You know, another person, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't choose this person, but, uh, Dot from The Tick. Yeah, uh, that would have been a good pick. Which is Arthur's sister, who's an EMT, and um, you know her relationship with superpowered people is is supposed to be for comedy, but it's like really charming and you know endearing in a way, and um, like I would just watch it kind of for her because she's kind of a highlight of the show. <laughs> yeah, she, um, she's she's definitely a sane voice. Yeah. Um, but that just makes her stand out more. Um, uh, what do you what do you, what do you got next, Mike? So my number four is uh, Deborah Grayson from the series Invincible. This is a, another Image Comics IP, um, and Deborah Grayson is a mom and wife of superheroes. Uh, her son is a pubescent teenager who is learning that he has as many powers as Superman. Um, his father, Omni-Man, is the number one hero of the world. While both son and father use their superpowers to make life better, she is the faithful homemaker and housewife. Um, so what, what I like about her is how unflinching she is when uh, both of them come at her with uh, like superhero problems. Like when uh, the son is named Marcus, and Marcus, that's the comic book is kind of about Marcus. Uh, but, it, you know, Marcus will say, oh, you know, dad got sucked into an interdimensional portal, and, you know, he won't be with us for a few weeks. And she'll be like, that's nice. Do you want more pork chops? <laughs> uh, so she'll say things like that, because, like, it's so normal for her. Um, that she can kind of shrug it off. In fact, when her son just kind of said, I think I can fly, she's like, oh, okay, can you pass the salad? And so you get those you, those funny kind of talks. Um, but the, the cool thing about her is 
well, I'm not going to say cool. Cool is a bad choice of word, but um, when tragedy strikes uh, is when she realized that uh, Omni-Man faked their whole entire marriage and that he was secretly part of an, an alien um, elite force that um, his only goal is to turn the Earth into slaves. So, uh, like, Omni-Man does a complete heel turn, realizes his, his marriage is just a farce, um, and his son Marcus kind of comes and says, Dad, stop it. I thought you liked us. And, uh, you know, Omni-Man's like, no, I never loved you. It was all about destroying this world. And, and then we see the aftermath with Deborah, how she gets, like, very depressed and kind of has to, you know, she gets very anxious and very bitter about this. Um, and he has to kind of reconcile with the truth that her husband never really loved her. And at the same time, you see her doing a balancing act um, and also trying to work out being a single mom and a wounded spouse. Um, and not just a single mom, but a mom to a superhero who's getting his life in danger constantly. So uh, what I like about this is uh, Deborah Grayson is a great biopic, kind of like Vicki Vale, of how regular humans like us can uh, spur on alien races and demigods. And she lives out the impact of being part of something that is way out of her league. And just kind of that, uh, that comparison of, you know, average Joe meeting superhero aliens and the like. Uh, but at the same time, um, she is the only link Marcus has to being a human um, that doesn't, and, you know, and she kind of gives him the soul and the morality that he needs to keep going on. So uh, I would actually love to see a Deborah Grayson comic or any kind of a story with, you know, the mom and caretaker who kind of has to be uh, among these alien races and, like, uh, supervillains and tyrants. And, you know, how she copes and how she still is, like, a good, you know, hard-nosed mom who kind of uh, has to still put her son in timeout and such and such. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, I, I, I love the, uh, the idea of you know, a a non superpowered mom having to to deal with everyday mom things, but also not ordinary superhero son things. Right. And you know, it, you know, it just it, it just brings to my attention that you know, single moms and single dads and um and you know, mom and dads that are in relationships. Um, you know, those guys are the real heroes. You know, they. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that pick us up. They're the ones that help us through stuff. All the while, they're carrying burdens too. And um, you know, I I know I said before that uh, this episode was dedicated to Vicky Vale, but I think this episode is now dedicated to all those hardworking parents out there. That's the. Uh, I think that's what they were going for in this comic book, because uh, you know Deborah Grayson is the the powerless nothing special mom who's just faithful to her job and faithful to her kids. And you have the Omni-Man, the most powerful, most invincible man in the universe, 
and he's the jerk because he can't stay faithful and he can't uh, he can't be loyal. And it just goes to show you, like you see where the true power lies. Exactly. Exactly. Um, shall I shall I go on to my uh, my next one, Mike? Please do. Um, okay, Mike. This this one, um, this one I I hold really close to my heart. Um, she is a character from one of the, um, my, you know, one of my favorite animes of all time. Um, she's one of my favorite characters of all time. Uh, you know, and she's you know this this series is is um, one that I I hold very close to my heart. And uh, the character is Winry Rockbell from the the anime. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Have you seen it, Mike? You know, it keeps showing up in my Netflix feed, and it's it's one of those things I say one day, one day. Well. <laughs> um, it's. I mean, first, uh, first, I gotta say that it's, um, it's got one of the best stories. Not even just for like an anime. It has like one of the best stories for. Um, like a a TV show for a movie of of all time. It's it's that good, and um and something that you can't say about a lot of animes, but it's definitely something that you can watch with the family. Maybe not too young, but um because there's definitely some 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 hand to hand combat and some violence and stuff like that. But they they talk about a lot of uh, important big things like morality and uh, truth and justice and. Um, you know, the central conflict for the, the show is about um, this Western power that um, has dominated the region for a while and um, committed some more atrocities in um, a Middle Eastern-styled uh, nation and, you know, dealing with the repercussions of war and um, dealing with the repercussions of unchecked power. And uh, it all centers around uh, this little group of, of teenagers named... Um, uh, Alphonse Elric, um, and his uh, his brother, his brother Edward, and um, their childhood best friend Winry. Um, so Winry is um, uh, her her role in the the series is she's this kind of uh a prodigy uh automail mechanic so in this world when people get prosthesis they have these um uh you know these these hands that are made of metal and but they're they're run on um like this this tinkering technology um it's not quite steampunk but it's it's steampunk-esque and it takes special um they're they're almost like equal parts doctors equal parts mechanics and uh winry is uh one of the best in the world and she also happens to be um childhood best friends with uh, the two other main characters specifically edward has um missing uh he is a missing a missing hand and a missing foot uh that she kind of repairs for him and uh kind of upgrades throughout the series and you know uh there's you know, there's a couple of plot points where she kind of uh, messes up uh, with uh, his order one time, and it, it breaks in the middle of a fight, and he has to she has to go help him and uh, you know repair it on the fly. And um, but ultimately, you know she um, you know she's she's kind of like a, a tough cookie. 
that she, you know, she, she knows her, her value in the world. She knows that she's at the top of her field, but at the same time, she's, she can be very soft and, and kind and loving and caring with those that she cares about. Um, and, you know, as the series progresses, you just kind of, you know, fall in love with her. And she's, you know, the, I, I guess I would say that she's like the ultimate kind of girl next door. Um, she's the ultimate kind of like childhood best friend. Um, and she, um, she, you know, she's equal parts uh, sweetness and griminess. Like she's, you know, she's not, she's not afraid to, to kind of get her hands dirty, but at the same time, um, you know, she'll bake you a, you know, a dozen cookies and bring them over for dinner. Um, is, she, is she the traditional anime eyes grow big? <laughs> squeaky voice um not really i mean it depends if you watch in the uh the english uh dub or if you watch it in the japanese sub but the voice actors are, are very well and um all, all the characters i just mentioned are uh, they're part of the kind of western faction or the western empire in that game so they're they're a little bit more um they don't they're they're you know they're not traditional anime characters so they they kind of have like these Japanese features with like Western eyes. That kind of everything kind of looks a little bit more per, uh, more realistic, um, and you know the kind of the, the art style is a little bit more. It, you know, it's it's less Sailor Moon and more um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. That's another episode. <laughs> that's yeah. That's another episode. Um, but uh, you know, if if she didn't exist uh, in uh, in the, the the manga or in the anime run, um, they would be the boys would be up a, a creek without a paddle. Uh, especially Ed, um, he you know he's pretty reliant on her to kind of keep up with her prosthesis, his prosthesis, and um, he's kind of this rough and tumble kind of character. He's he's got a he's got a very ironically large napoleon complex and he you know he'd rather punch first and ask questions later um and he messes up his his prosthesis a lot so um he uh he definitely visits her for that a lot but also at the same time uh she's definitely their their moral center like a lot of these other characters um you know the a big part of the the show is that edward is um you know, he, he lost the, the arm and the leg, and his other brother lost his entire body, and his soul is kind of, like, bonded to this big suit of metal. And a lot of times, it, it, it can feel for the, the brothers that they kind of lose their humanity, and she's kind of the light that leads them back to their, their humanity and kind of reminds them what they're fighting for, and, you know, she's, she's the light that kind of leads them out of the darkness, uh, uh, you know, and leads them out of the the hard and heavy path that they 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 have to choose to get their their bodies back um but she uh you know she she's not um uh, she's not light on them either she she when she sees that they've messed up or they've strayed she definitely lets them have it so she's she's definitely uh their uh their their guiding light great that's great i can i cannot visualize this person so this is this uh, character is like the ace up your sleeve, um, and you know I thought I thought I knew your deck of cards, Adam. <laughs> thought you know he's going to do MJ, Lois Lane, you know 
she she was actually the uh the first one that i i thought of i mean she's like i said she's one of my favorite characters um and you know she's uh uh i guess the the term would be a spitfire uh and you know i i love the uh I just love every character in that in that anime, the uh, Full Metal Alchemist, is is just done very very well, and she's she's not an exception. Good. Speaking of anime, I want to bring up my fifth and final character. Are you are you ready for this? I'm so ready, Mike. Um, Blind Al. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I love you know, this one. I love I this choice so much. I shouldn't have to say who this is, but I'm going to have to because I had to tell myself who this is. Uh, Blind Aletha, Alethea, or Blind Alfred, is more of a horror story than anything else. <laughs> As uh, is most things in Deadpool's comic books. Yes, yeah, this is a Deadpool character. And you might, rem- be, uh, you might know her as the blind black woman in the Deadpool movies. I didn't know her name was Blind Al, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, so the joke is that she's the blind Alfred, you know, the butler. Right. Uh, but her story is actually pretty tragic. Uh, so before Deadpool was charming and quirky, uh, he was depressed and angsty and dark. You know, no one, no one wants to remember him like that. Uh, <laughs> Um, he was kind of a, a 90s child where they had, like, pockets all over their pants, and each pocket had a grenade in it for some reason. <laughs> so, um, one day, Wade Wilson was tasked with hunting a blind woman called Blind Al, but instead he captures her and locks her in his house. Uh, blind Al is then used as the butt of many Wade Wilson's jokes. Uh, for example, he would hide stuff from her or lock her in a closet filled with sharp things. So uh, he was. This is this is uh, cruelty to elderly, like to the max. <laughs> so, but while the relationship seems abusive, until you learn that Alethea or Blind Al sticks with Deadpool because she can see or she can she realizes he's turning into a good person. So she has this. This hope against hope that uh, there's really a good person underneath that wacky, homicidal, oozy-carrying mutant. So eventually she and Deadpool grow a respect-filled friendship. And um, an adorable story, uh, Deadpool tries to send her a braille invitation to his marriage with Shikla. However, due to a mishap with Wade's less-than-perfect grasp of Braille, she goes to a gang funeral instead, (laughs) utterly oblivious to her error. So I just love that story. Um, I really think there should be a series called Deadpool and Blind Al. And in the issue, uh, Blind Al gets coerced into telling Kingpin how to kill Deadpool. but she's only doing it out of uh, petty revenge because Deadpool played a mean trick where he, he hid her medicine. But then they reconcile and end up beating up the Kingpin together. Amen. And then they, they share a steaming hot pile of chimichangas. Absolutely. <laughs> I, love, I love that you picked this 
Um, I, like you, when I saw it, I didn't initially know who it was. And then I looked it up and I saw a picture. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good choice. That's a yeah. great choice. She's, she's famous for saying in the trailer, uh, you know, wear a red suit. So, because it, it matches the color of blood. <laughs> right, right. Um, that actually reminds me of uh, one of my favorite jokes. Do you want to hear it? I'll take that as a yes. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't hear me. Yes. I'm contractually obligated to hear this joke. Yeah, you are. Um, And so one day a sea captain uh, was aboard his ship and he faced a uh, a large armada. And he, um, he shouts to his crew, bring me my brown pants. And they do so and they, they fight and they, they win and they survive. And then a couple of days go on, they, they find another armada, and he, he says also, uh, bring me my brown pants. And eventually, uh, this captain becomes famous uh, on the Seven Seas for wearing uh, these brown pants as he charges into battle. And until one day, he's, he's an old sailor, and he's retired, and he's sitting in a bar, and someone comes up to him and says, Captain, uh, we've heard many a story of your successes on the high seas, but... A question remains. Why did you always ask for your brown pants? And the captain, looking up from his grog, turned to them and said, It was so they didn't see me poop my pants. The, the deadpan <laughs> ending to that. <laughs> you know, this whole time I'm thinking of, like, a clever pun, a wordplay. Nope. A get was to a- the other side. Nope. It was a poop joke. It was straight up poop joke, and that is your fifth character, the <laughs> captain who poops his pants. Amen. <laughs> no, my last one is ex- extremely controversial. Are you ready, Mike? So ready for this. Mike, uh, we, we've talked about nine fantastic supporting ladies so far, would you say? Um... And that brings us to our last person who is not a lady. It's one Steve Trevor. <laughs> the lady of ladies. Um, in case you couldn't tell or in case you haven't seen uh, Wonder Woman, Steve Trevor is uh, an American soldier who kind of brings Wonder Woman um, from uh, her island uh, into the the man's world, um, she kind he kind of serves as um, Wonder Woman's um, human liaison to uh, to the United Nations and to the world. You know, you see in the uh, the, the movie, he kind of takes her shopping and he takes her. You know, he kind of leads her through um, this newfound world and. Um, you know, depending on the uh, the comic book arc, um, he's also considered, you know, a love interest. He's considered a, a partner in crime, and he uh, he's he's definitely a a complement to kind of Wonder Woman's character. He Trevor's is in every way that Wonder Woman is um, morally upright and you know graceful and powerful and and strong he's more of a 
like a cynical, realistic, kind of roguish, um, kind of uh, representation of like modern male civilization. Um, he's, but you know, he's equal parts that kind of like ruffian to also kind of like a uh, a charming a, a charming kind of dude, and he, you know, he has a he's a rough and tough uh, exterior, but he has a, a warm, soft, and gooey center, and um, he uh, he definitely earns uh, you know Wonder Woman's respect, uh, not because of his fighting prowess, but purely the the content of his uh, moral uprightness in his in his heart. Um, he, uh, among his accomplishments, uh, he is the first uh, foreigner to ever set foot on um, uh, the, the their island. Uh, I can't even begin to say it. Is it Thermistakira? Thermistakira? What is it, Mike? Themyscira. Themyscira. There it is. Um, he's also the first dude that um, Diana has ever seen. Wonder Woman has ever seen. And uh, he's also one of the, the first ambassadors to um, to be a, a diplomat to the Amazonians. Um, and so far uh, in DC, uh, Superman, Batman, and Trevor are the only um, men to be granted honorary citizenship. Uh, so that's, I mean, hey, when you're mentioned in the same sentence as Superman and Batman, you're a pretty cool dude, right? See Booster Gold. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's you know he's a he's a he's a solid dude, and um, you know on you know unlike the the other characters, he he definitely has um, he definitely represents um, he, he's definitely a I, I don't even know how to say it. He's a he's an avatar for the for the times. Really, he he kind of is the perfect example of the idealized man in the, you know, the 1940s and the 1950s. And um, because of that, you know, he, he kind of leans a little bit more on his, his physical traits than, than these other characters. But um, I think he, he's, you know, he's every bit as heroic as Captain America or Bucky Barnes. And uh, gosh darn it, he, he, deserves, he deserves some respect. Um, you know, and if he, you know, if he were to suddenly not exist in in DC's universe, Wonder Woman wouldn't exist. Uh, he, you know, he's credited with with discovering the island, and he's 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 credited with, um, you know, kind of bringing uh, attention to to Wonder Woman uh, to the Amazonians, and I think eventually uh, the Amazonians, especially in the the DC uh, uh, cinematic universe, they would have eventually seen what was going on with like. Apocalypse and Steppenwolf would have had to intervene, but um, mm-hmm. he definitely helps them along. So, you know, without them, the, the the human race would be without its most powerful Amazonian protector. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's going to show up in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. So yeah, even though he be... died, <laughs> no one and... really dies in the comic books. No, uh, they always come back. There's always the Lazarus Pit. And uh, I would, I would love it if, um, if he, if there was like a, a limited run series where uh, Steve Trevor kind of teamed up with like 
a bunch of the other kind of like rough and tumble bad boys of DC and they just like formed a like a little group kind of you know like there's like a birds of prey there's like yes. a, a male equivalent where it's just like Steve Trevor and like Red Hood and Arsenal and um Flag yeah 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 Rick Flag yeah. and they they just run around and they they do stuff for the government I think that would be awesome I just want to see them in uh, multiple bar fights <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. That would, you know, that would be awesome. Sign me up for that. Absolutely. Oh, so, man. what a wild ride. Right? That was... I, I had a lot of fun talking about these characters, man. This is the only time we can talk about nine women and one dude without uh, any backlash. <laughs> Amen to that. And um, I, I think it's also important to say that uh, comics and movies, while... Um, you know, there we've come a long way from where we were. Um, that you know, there's obviously there's still steps to be taken, but as shown with like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, and even into video games, characters like Ellie and um, uh, Laura Croft. Uh, you know, we're we're taking steps in the in positive directions for for females in in comic book uh, and nerddom. was a stunning conclusion. Maybe I should edit music into that speech. <laughs> Amen. Um, I'd be down so for now, it. Yeah. Now I have to now I have to ruin the mood and <laughs> suggest that we go to an alternate dimension that uh, briefly goes over some of the stuff we talked about. Amen. And you know what? What are in order to get there, we're gonna have to power this bad boy up. What did you bring today to to, to power it? Stacy dolls by the <laughs> truffle. Nice. Um, I found three boxes of the nineteen ninety board game classic uh, Crossfire. Wow. <laughs> now, what happens if I add the nineteen eighties game Mall Madness? Um, we've effectively have enough power to power all of Western New York. I like it. <laughs> uh, are we ready to jump into this scene? Yes. It's the best part of our show, where we get to be doofuses. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, we look into a world where other people are doofuses. Right, right. Right, yep. Uh, shall I count it down, Mike? Yes. Okay, we'll see this in three, two... One. We open on a New York City apartment. Hmm. Checks his phone. <sighs> he always does this. Suddenly, there's a knock at the door. Peter Parker gets up and checks and opens the door. <gasps> Barry freaking Allen. Good to see you, buddy. So long. Sorry I'm late. But I can't help it. I'm just always perpetually late. I brought some vault sodas for later. You know how tired I get. Do I ever. I mean, literally last week we were playing Medal of Honor online and passed out right as we were dropping in. It was like, what, 8.30? Sorry, not sorry. And it's fine. I've played with you almost every night since then. Uh, ever since Iris got that overnight job, I have my evenings free. 
Yeah, man. I'm totally glad that we met on that TeamSpeak server. I've been really lonely, too, ever since MJ got that promotion that requires her to trade stocks overnight in China. Weird job. Anyways, got any grub, my dude? Uh, Barry makes his way to the living, uh, the living room and sees the news playing. Uh, yeah, I, I totally tossed a, uh, a Red Baron pie in the oven. Should be ready in 20. Do you mind if I turn this off to plug in the Dreamcast Project Scarlet? I just got the new Avengers JLA crossover game from Square. Go for it. Can't wait to try it. Sweet! I'll get right on it. He's interrupted by a breaking news bulletin. This just in. The Flash and Spider-Woman have stopped Captain Boomerang and the Shocker for robbing a Manhattan bank. They suffered minor casualties, but a follow-up story will be live after this commercial break. <laughs> Part of Spider-Woman's mask got singed off. She, she has really red hair, just like MJ. Yeah, she does. Flash, it looks like she's wearing a pair of Air Pumas I just bought Iris. She's gonna be psyched to know she's wearing the same shoes as the Flash. Yo, that's sick! They high-five. Today we get this show on the road and get playing. I got dibs on playing Iron Man. Aw, oh, man, I wanted to be him. I bet you'd be an awesome substitute father figure. The hours pass, and soon they drift off to sleep, only to be awoken by the front door blasting. <laughs> Peter Parker, where are you, my sweet? Suddenly, Gorilla Grodd punches a hole in the wall. Barrier. <laughs> uh, ah, not again. If there's only a strong woman who could sweep in here and save me. Ah, look, we're saved. Oh, what's a handsome guy like you doing in a place like this? She winks at Peter. Oh, man. I totally want to kiss her upside down in a rain soaked alley. Oh, hey there, Stud Muffin. Fancy meeting you here. She tries to wink, too. Uh, excuse me, I'm not a piece of meat, although I'm grateful to be saved in this moment. Ah, uh, shrug. Whatever you say, toots. Let's clean up, Spidey, I'm pushing curfew. Wow, sounds like a plan, Scarlet Speedstress. Ha, spider webs, pew, 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 pew! Oh, I'm going to run on the cosmic treadmill to, to save the day to reverse time! After uh, a sequence of back and forth fighting, eventually the women prevail, and Peter Parker swoons into Spider Woman's arms. Our heroes! The Flash looks expectantly at Barry. Suppose you deserve it, though I'll have you know I'm taken. Swoons less excitedly into her arm. Suddenly, the Spidey signal shines in the sky. <gasps> That's our cue, gentlemen. See you later, Tiger. She blows a kiss at Peter. The ladies exit the apartment, and Barry Allen starts cleaning up. Suddenly, he looks up, like something just occurred to him. Did you notice anything about the Flash? She was wearing the exact same perfume I bought Iris for Christmas last year. Yeah, and 
and Spider-Woman called me Tiger. Only MJ calls me that. You don't no think... Fades to black. Wow, Adam. <laughs> Man, what a wow. roller coaster ride. I Yeah, you know, every time I look in the Viewmaster and uh, we get a good peek at this world, I don't know what I'm expecting to see. Neither do I, but I'm glad that one thing doesn't change is that these, you know, these emotional support characters, whether they be male or female, they're just as oblivious to their partner's super, uh, super powered hijinks. Yeah, yeah, I think we put in the right chemicals to get that world. Amen to that. So, um, Mike, what, uh, what do you think we'll, uh, we'll talk about next? At this point, you know, the, the world is our oyster. Amen. So, I, yeah, I know, hallelujah, raise the roof. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about underrated seafood? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you, Clams Casino. You, <laughs> Better you than... Haven't, you haven't been pulling your weight, buddy. <laughs> Better than uh, Oysters Rockefeller? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, don't get me started on, uh, on uh, Shrimp Linguini. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, but well, we'll figure it out. But man, uh, this, was a, this was a good episode, Mike. Uh, a modern classic, to be sure. And I just hope that uh, as we fade out and prepare for another episode that people really acknowledge the passion we put behind this. We, we went deep, we went far, and, you know, ladies, this was for you, and uh, we appreciate what you do. And, and, and Steve Trevor. We and Steve Trevor. Yeah. Don't forget Steve. <laughs> Never want to. Never want to. Uh, I've been Adam. I've been Mike. And we'll see you guys next time on Bottom Shelf Dreams. See you next time.